morning. Thankful to be here with you today and to close out this final chapter of 1 Peter. Say this uh, every time we close out a book, and I'll say it again for you today, that by the time we get done leaving uh, a part of the Bible, I think, man, I'm so sad about leaving this part of the Bible. There's nothing that's going to compare to the to this part. It's been so fruitful. It's been so helpful in the life of our church. And then, I mean, luckily this time we get a second one. So you know, uh, this time we get a we get our do over if we mess the first one up, I guess. But um, but I'm so thankful that every time we've gone to a new section of scripture, every, every time we've opened the Word of God faithfully, He is faithful to deliver. Uh, just what we need at the at the right time, at the appropriate time. And somehow, every text of Scripture is better than the next, and yet equally the same in effectiveness and profitability, uh, or, or at least inspiration. Uh, while I know that each Scripture is not equally profitable, it is equally inspired. Today, we're going to be in 1 Peter uh, 5. 8 through 14, I'm going to spend all of the time focusing on 8 through 11, and I'll just give you a few thoughts on uh, 12, 13, and 14 at the end. I think the meat of our passage is in uh, 1 Peter 5, uh, 8 through 11 today. We're going to look at spiritual maturity and the attacks of the enemy. Today I'm going to give you some thoughts on spiritual warfare. It will not be an extensive, exhaustive sermon on spiritual warfare. It'll be uh, thoughts on how the spiritual mature person is able to uh, advance and fight the attacks of the enemy uh, over time. Uh, through other passages, we will get more uh, extensively involved in uh, spiritual warfare and those thoughts. But today, I'm just going to try to summarize for you what Peter says, uh, what I believe Peter says on this subject. Let's do this. Let's pray. Uh, if we're going to talk about spiritual warfare, we should call on the Spirit of God to help us understand it. So let's start with prayer and um, see where God leads us. Father God, you are so holy and you are so good, which means that whatever you do is automatically going to be right. Lord, whether it is putting us through trials and testing or whether it is uh, giving us riches or blessing, whatever you do is right. So help us to accept that and be willing to not allow our faith to be determinant upon the blessing or the trials of our life, but upon what Christ has done for us. Help us to trust Christ alone for salvation, but not just for salvation, for our spiritual growth, for the tools we need to be more like Him. Help us to draw on the power that the Spirit gives us, that has been left with us to navigate this world, and not just succeed and not just uh, get by, but to be more than overcomers. Thank you that the work of our salvation is a triune work, that 
that the Father called us before the beginning of time, before the world began, that the Son, in the appropriate and proper time, has done the work of redemption and salvation, and now the Spirit keeps us until the end of time. What a blessing. What a blessing it is to go through this world with that knowledge. That before time and after time, God is God and we are His. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for the joy of knowing you. The victory that we have in this world that often wants us to be defeated. Lord, thank you that there is an answer to every attack. There is an answer to every fiery dart of the enemy. When we put our faith and our hope and our trust in Christ, in Christ alone. Lord, would you be our sufficient strength? Would you be our ever-present help, ever help in times of trouble? Our all-consuming fire. We praise you. We know that these things are true. We praise you for them and we pray that as believers we would become more and more dependent on the reality of these truths. Your word is truth, so, so we believe. We believe. Help our unbelief. We pray and ask these things in the mighty and matchless the holy and right and true name of Jesus. Amen. I believe that our verses today are a continuation of what Stephen spoke on last week. Uh, I started with the role and the responsibility of elders within the body of Christ, the necessity of elders within the body of Christ, and then Stephen moved to the idea of the responsibility of the congregation. Um, I believe, uh, I said, yeah, Stephen and Peter, but Stephen through the words that Peter said. I believe that what Peter was doing is the same thing that we need to do with our own families. It's the same thing that I try with my own family. Peter is closing an argument and he is reminding them of the necessity of the most important things in their life. And the most important things in their life it happens to be Christ. It happens to be the church. It happens to be this deep connection, this deep spiritual connection that is ready for a deep spiritual warfare. So he is closing all of these arguments he's making in First Peter with this reminder of the necessity of a connection with the church. Um, I think Stephen did a great job of putting down these, uh, explaining these areas of growth and spiritual growth this connection to a church, this connection to the local body, this submission to elders that is uh, the part of the church and a part of spiritual growth. I think Stephen's verses connect to our verses today. Here's how I think they connect. Verses 5 to 11 teach younger people, younger parts of the body about the ferocious enemy and what he wants to steal away and that he wants to steal them away 
And it gives them, I think verses 5 through 11, gives them the tools to overcome the enemy. So Peter is giving the church the tools to resist the enemy. Peter understands that those in his audience would need these truths uh, because not only were they presently facing, but they would be facing in the near future this, this great onslaught of the attack of the enemy. Even though this message was to a first century audience, these words are still true to us today. These words are as important to that audience as uh, to us as they were that audience. Now, if you remember verse 5, Peter said, be subject to elders. I believe this to be true. I think Stephen did a good job of laying this out. The first way to resist the attack of the enemy is to connect yourself to a local church that has bold men who teach the full counsel of God and submit yourself to that authority. The first, I believe, the first step in spiritual maturity is to connect yourself to a local church who has bold men, who has the church that has bold men who teach the full counsel of God and submit yourself to that authority. Sheep need a shepherd. And the shepherd has given all sheep an under-shepherd in the form of elders in a local church. You want to resist the devil? You want to submit to God? Find a Bible-believing church and a teaching church and submit to the leaders there. I think that most of you have done at least 100% of that, if not 50% of that. You've found the body where the men that lead the church Preach the word boldly. Now, whether or not you want to submit to that authority, whether or not you want to submit to what the Lord is saying, that's, that's up to you. But I believe the first step to spiritual maturity is to find a church, find a local body of believers, a local gathering of believers where the elders of that believers, the elders of those believers, preach the word without fear. Preach the full counsel of God and submit to that leadership. There's a catch-22 to that first thought. There are only two ways to know that if you're in this type of church. One is to be a part of it. When you're a part of this type of church and you're somewhere else, you know that you're a part of this type of church. So one's to be a part of it. If you're a part of this type of church and you go to another church, you're like, okay, there's something, there's something not this, nothing, nothing wrong necessarily, but there's something off here. But the other is to pursue the Bible on your own. To find out for yourself what God requires of a strong, Bible-believing, full counsel of God sort of church. And then you know that you won't miss it. So there is a catch-22 to finding that church. You either have to be a part of it, you have to luck out, not luck out obviously, but you have to be a part of it, or you have to... Go actively seek it yourself. It takes humility to submit to this type of church and to this type of authority, which was Peter's second point. He said, find the elders, submit to the elders, humble yourself. If you want to grow as a Christian, you must assume two things. I don't know everything and that there are others who have the knowledge that I need. After you grasp those two, 
I don't know everything. There are others that have the knowledge that I need, the truth that I need. You need to be humble enough to sit at their feet and learn. You have to be humble enough to take things that you don't like and accept them as true. You may not receive them into your life and change your life based on them, but you at least must accept them as as true. Now, our church... Um, there's a lot, there are several reasons why people probably don't stick around to our church. I, one of the reasons is probably me. My personality is probably pretty abrasive. I, I'm willing to accept that. Uh, hopefully, more times than not, it's because of the gospel and not because I'm just a jerk. I'm, I'm not sure about that, but hopefully more times than not, it is that case. But another reason that our church it will have a difficult time growing is because unlike other places that people can go, when we preach the word of God, the full counsel of God, that's a problem, number one. But when we preach the full counsel of God, we expect people to submit to those truths. It takes a lot of humility to be able to do that. It takes a lot of humility to admit that you might be wrong on a certain subject. Where the Bible speaks differently, excuse me, not that you might, that you are wrong on a certain subject where the Bible speaks differently to what you think. It takes a lot of humility to stay around for that. One of the greatest problems that I see in local churches is that churches have become culturally appropriate green rooms for hell. When they should be seminaries. Culturally appropriate green rooms for hell. You know what a green room is, right? A green room is the place that famous people go to feel comfortable until they're in the real show. The reason that churches or many local churches have lost their effectiveness in the culture and against the enemy is because they have created little mystical homes where people can be comfortable. Where when you cast the right words, people will do anything. If you have the right setting and you just dim the lights and the smoke comes through, all of your dreams will come true. Churches look a lot more like Hogwarts than a, than a seminary. The problem is when the first great struggle comes along, the answer is not at the end of a magic wand, Harry. The answer is in what you have neglected the most, and that is the study and the, and the, and the in, uh, engrossing in the uh, in yourself in the word of god it isn't all about knowledge for sure but we must know the enemy that we face we must know the tactics that god has given us to face him we must not stick our heads in the sand and assume that there is a God, but there's not a devil. That there is good, but there is not evil. And most churches spend most of their time trying to remove evil from the equation. 
When anybody with a lick of sense understands that there is a... They, most people that are logical about God, even not Christians, understand that there is a God primarily because there is evil. Why churches do their best to take evil out of the equation altogether. There must be a God because there is evil, because there has to be an answer for evil. Most people, even the best atheists, that's the problem that they deal with the most. Playing church will not get us anywhere when it comes to the fiery darts of the enemy. The attacks of the enemy. Mostly western churches are what people want. They are what people want. They are shallow and they are devoid of hard truths. But the church is not supposed to be about what you want. It is created to be about what you need until what you want is what you need. Until your wants and your desires are changed. Most of you, when you came to Vintage Church, did not know what you needed. Or only knew what you thought you needed. And over time, through self-study and through the teaching of the word on Sunday mornings and through missional community groups, you have been instructed as to what you needed. And it's odd that now it is the testimony individually. People aren't doing this to brag on me because the type of people that are saying this to me aren't the type of people that brag on me. But people aren't doing this to brag on me. But it is individually the testimony of our people when they leave this place, they say, something is missing. Whereas they're just going to places that they spent most of their life. Most, they're going to church gatherings where they spent most of their life and yet now they see something is missing and so what we find is is that the church is to be a place not where you immediately find what you want the church is to be a place to where you get what you need until what you need becomes what you want I think Stephen laid a solid foundation last week of how we grow and how we face the attacks of the enemy that are undoubtedly ahead. And I, I want to finish uh, 1 Peter, and I'm going to steal a little bit from him. Uh, I'm going to steal a little bit of the points from the verses just so I can sort of well round what I'm trying to say today. Would you read with me 1 Peter 5? We're going to read 8 through 11, and then I'll save 12 and 14 for the end. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, after you've suffered for a little while, sorry, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. I've said all I've said to this point to say that the enemy at hand is no joke. 
And it takes a good bit of understanding and training to be able to face these attacks. And the Western church has done a great disservice to people with their treatment of spiritual things. We have mischaracterized our enemy and really what it takes to defeat him. Many ch- uh, often there are churches in Western society and other societies now that focus solely on the devil. The devil made me do it. It's the devil's fault. The, en- the enemy's power is too great. And there are other churches who just act as if he doesn't exist. And I believe that both would be a mistake. The connection Peter is making between elders and younger people and the attack of the enemy proves to me that Peter sees the church as the training grounds for fighting off these spiritual attacks, but also understanding our enemy. More simply put, you cannot fight the attacks of the enemy without the church. In general, we are woefully ill-equipped on our own to fight the enemy. Not only do we need fellow soldiers to walk with us as we fight and to fight alongside, we need extensive training. The training is never done. The training is never complete. As a matter of fact, if you ever get to a point where the training, you think the training is complete, you might be true in a sense, but you're also selfish. Because if you get to a point where you believe the training is complete, what you're doing is you're not realizing is that you can now be trained to train others. You can be trained to be a minister to others, if not your own children, children of spiritual descent. The training is never complete, and we need extensive training. So much so that I would assert that the vast majority of a local church's efforts should be into training little theologians. The vast majority. The vast majority of the money spent in the church, the vast majority of the time spent in the church. This is why I personally, and not because I'm the pastor here, uh, you know, it's, and not because I receive a salary. This is why I believe personally that most of the money should go to missions and should go to the pastors. And that's where, that's what our goal is as a church. That's what we're trying to get to. Because I think the primary goal of the church is to train Little theologians, this extensive training. The elders should be training in the word and then living by example. So not only do people see the word being taught, they hear, I mean, not only do they hear it being taught, but they see it being lived out. And most churches would do well to throw most other things that they're doing out the window. Friends, I want to tell you, the Bible is the only answer book for fighting our daily battles. Because the Bible is a spiritual book. It is written by the Holy Spirit himself. The Bible is a spiritual book with spiritual answers. And you must know that most, if not all, the problems that you face in your life every day are spiritual and not just random. Most of the problems you face in your life are spiritual. They are not behavioral or otherwise. Problems in your marriage are mostly, if not all the way, spiritual. Problems with your children and their behavior are spiritual, if not 
mostly all the way. Problems in the church are spiritual, if not mostly all the way. Problems at work are spiritual. Problems in your gen- uh, general reaction interactions in life are spiritual. Spiritual. Now, I don't think it's uh, the devil specifically. We know the devil is not omnipresent. He's not everywhere. We know that he has forces. But I do. I do think that there is one or sometimes all three things that make our problems spiritual. One is sin in general. The fact that sin is in the world makes the most of the problems we face spiritual. Personal sin makes most of the problems we face spiritual. And or one of three or all three of three at times, demonic forces. I think you are doing a great disservice to yourself, to your children, to those you might counsel, and to finding a remedy for your problems when you don't first see the problems that you face as spiritual. As we think about the attacks in our lives and our history and how we handle those ordeals, we need to find a balance between understanding their spiritual nature while also not blaming all of our problems on the devil. We must never assume that we as Holy Spirit-captured beings are just facing generic problems and not spiritual problems. Or that we, what we see happening is in the world is just misguided people instead of being demonic. And I want to say this, and I don't think every instance where someone says this is demonic, it's demonic. But I want to tell you, I've spent a lot, I've spent a lot of my younger years scoffing at people who say this is demonic. This is demonic. This is demonic behavior. And the older I get, the more I realize there can be no other explanation for many things that are happening other than demonic behavior, other than the demonic, at least the demonic nature of sin in everyone else's life, everyone's life. Why would we as Holy Spirit-captured individuals, as spiritual beings, believe that the problems we face would be anything but spiritual problems. How else do you think the enemy attacks us? He can't. He can can harm our body. He, He can even send people to take our life. But he knows that that won't do anything in the in the grand scheme of things. As a matter of fact, when Christians die, there's gain. So what what can he do? He must, in a spiritual way, do things to make us spiritually ineffective. So we will face spiritual attacks. We are facing spiritual attacks. More times than not, what we face are spiritual attacks. So how do we handle those? How do we handle those? I sort of gave it away a little bit. Stephen gave it away last week. But I'm going to start... I'm going to give you two points. This is real strange. They're not a part of my sermon. I'm not going to explain them. They've already been preached on. But in order to have a three and a four, I needed to have a one and two. So I'm going to take one and two from Stephen's sermon last week. We're going to talk about being spiritually mature and how that helps us 
face the attacks of the enemy. So my first point that I won't preach on that I stole from Stephen is being spiritual mature is being submitted to the leadership of a great local body of believers. Being spiritual mature in a way that is able to resist the fiery darts of the enemy is being submitted to the leadership of a local body of believers. You find that in 1 Peter 5 uh, verse 5. The second point, being spiritually mature is being humble about your needs and spiritual journey. Again, I'm not going to preach that. If you want to hear what Stephen had to say about that, uh, listen to it. It's It's online on Facebook right now. It's online on our website right now. You can find that. Here's where my part starts, and this is number three. Being spiritually mature is being aware of your surroundings. Being submitted to the local church, being committed to the local church, that's a big part of it. Being humble about your needs. I need you and you need me. I don't know everything and I can't do this by myself. I can't ask for help. And then being spiritually mature is being aware of your surroundings. Look at verse 8. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Peter is reminding us of our need for alertness and sound judgment, which he's already taught us about in 1 Peter 1, 13 and 1 Peter 4, 7. Watchful is to focus your attention and to watch for attacks. Being sober-minded is not being distracted by outside influences. Uh, I was reading a testimony of, and this happened in the last few days, of someone on Facebook and how they were carjacked in Tunica the other night. This is not a, uh, some strange uh, Hispanic man followed me around. I mean, that's the story you see on Hernando Happenings, right? It's always a strange ethnic person in a weird car, okay? I'm not saying that those aren't real, but those what you always see. And it's not one of those. This person was actually carjacked, okay? And um, I was reading his testimony, and something struck me, and this is something that Uh, My father has taught me since uh, we were sitting in the parking lot of Target when I was a child waiting on my mom to get out of Target. Um, And if you know Target, it's usually hours on end or it feels like that. Uh, So there was a lot of time in teaching. But something I noticed from this person's testimony is this. He went into, he was in Tunica. He went into uh, a dollar. He went into the gas station to see his story sounds like he was probably doing some shady things, but it's whatever. Uh, he went into a gas station to see if they had what he needed. They didn't have what he needed. He went into Dollar General or a dollar store down there, Family Dollar or something, to see if they had what he needed. They didn't have what he needed, so he starts looking on his phone on their website to see if they actually carry that or where he can get that from. And he goes to his car. He's still looking on his phone, trying to figure out if he can get uh, what he is looking for. And the next thing he hears is a tap on the glass of his car. And before he knows it, before he even recognizes it, three men are standing, and he didn't even know that there were three. Three men are standing on the outside of his car, ready to take his car, and they say, you get out of your car or you lose your life. The only thing that he could tell the police about these men was what his car was and the color of their skin and kind of what they were wearing. That's it. Now, uh, I'm not telling this story to scare you. Or if I were going to give a side sermon here, I would say to Anna Holbrook and anybody else that I love very dearly in this room, 
you need to not be paying on your cell phone as you're walking through parking lots of places and making sure you're paying attention and, and making sure when you get in your car you don't loiter or linger because that is when you are most vulnerable is when you're sitting in your car waiting on to go to a next place or whatever. It would be better to just go ahead and go to the next place or drive around for a little bit. If I were going to do a side sermon, that's what I would do. But the point that I got out of this story that I was reading just yesterday was that this man, a bail bondsman, usually carrying a gun, when he was not sober-minded, when he was not watchful, became vulnerable. Became vulnerable. The cell phone here is the perfect illustration for our ability to be distracted because it happened to this man, but also our cell phone is our greatest tool, guilty as charged, our cell phone is our greatest tool for distraction from what is good in our spiritual life also. I am convinced that most Christians are constantly surprised by the attacks of the enemy. And it isn't because they aren't trained, because this man was trained. It isn't because they aren't ready, because this man was typically armed. He wasn't armed at the time. But it is because they aren't watchful and thinking clearly about the dangers ahead. Sober-minded. I think this message is a message to the saints of Vintage Church more than others. You are mostly, from what I know of you, mostly to all of you, strong, committed Christians. You have committed yourself to this church and submitted to the elders of this church. Most of you are growing in the word. I would let all of you watch my children. I would let all of you teach me something about the Lord. But my question to you and my my caution to you, Vintage Church, is if you are doing the first two, if you are humbly submitting to the church, if you are committed to the church, are you watchful? Are you operating in in a sober mind? Peter says the devil is prowling around. This instance is not just an enemy. This instance is not just demonic forces. This is the adversary. Peter is saying the devil is is prowling around. And he is ready to devour. Now the the image of a uh, prowling like a lion would would not have been lost on the early Christians of Peter's days who had seen the blood of Christians dripping from the lion's mouth in the Roman Colosseums. The prowling lion, the hunting lion, would not have been something that they had seen on National Geographic, but it would have been something that they had seen in real life. So they knew that it was prevalent, it was real. Peter uses the word devour here. It's the same word used in Jonah for how Jonah was taken in the belly of the well, or the belly of the fish. Sorry, a little bit too much children's church and Sunday school. He was taken in the belly of the fish. It is literally the devil is prowling around like a lion, seeking to drink you up. Which is indicative of the ferocious nature, the 
the veracity with which he will take you and take you down. There is no chewing. There is no ripping apart. There is just consuming. He is ready to consume you, Peter says. The devil is prowling around, ready to drink you up. Peter's warning listeners to not do what he did. Remember, Jesus warned Peter and the rest of the disciples to watch and pray. And what did they do? They slept. We wonder how could the disciples in the presence of Jesus sleep on him? And yet, the church is in spiritual stupor when it comes to the attacks of the enemy. Peter says, watch and pray like Jesus did. Be alert. If not for your own sake, for the sake of your children. If you think you've grown to the point where you are spiritually mature, you better not stop growing. You better not stop living it if you want your children to have any chance. Every testimony of every child that grew up within the church but fell away from the church, not every, most or many testimonies of children who grew up in the church but fell away from the church say something like this. The person that was in the congregation was not the person that was in my house. We never stop growing. We never stop being alert. And we never stop being honest with our kids about our faults and problems. Every night, almost every night, I pray with Bennett because Bennett has, I mean, I pray with them every night, but almost every night I pray for this. Bennett has some of the same tendencies to anger and frustration that I do. And instead of saying, Lord, help Bennett with his anger and frustration, I say, Lord, help us with our anger and frustration. You must be willing to admit that you have the same problems. You must be humble, ready to grow. The devil is prowling around. Let me ask you a question. In those videos of lions hunting, who do they typically go for? What kind of animal? What, what, what animal in the herd do they go for? Do they go for the alpha? Do they go for the strongest ones in the herd? They typically go for the injured. They typically go for the child. I am not saying that you have to homeschool your children. But one of the reasons that we homeschool our children is because the greatest tactic of the enemy is to take children. Because they are spiritually weak and spiritually unassuming. They need time to grow and be strong. The same child that is weak now with time and with the right teaching is the alpha later. Is the protector later. So if we're not going to grow for ourselves, we must grow to protect the herd. Submit to a great local church of local leaders. Be humble enough to learn and then go into protection mode and 
The last that I want you to see is being spiritually mature is being able to stand your ground. Verse 9, resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. One of the greatest lessons people are taught in most uh, forms of self-defense is awareness, being aware of your surroundings. Another and equally important lesson is to resist. Most forms of martial arts and self-defense classes do not teach you to kill, but to counter, to resist. I believe Peter is saying here, you cannot defeat the enemy permanently. He's stronger than you. He's smarter than you. He's more persistent than you. So the primary work of a Christian is not to say, get away from me, Satan, and permanently bind him from your life. The primary work of the Christian in spiritual warfare is to resist until he flees. That's why James says, submit therefore to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. It doesn't mean he won't come back, but he won't come back right now. So the primary work of the Christian is to resist the devil. <clears throat> so we're not trying to land a death blow on Satan. We're not trying to bind him like many people try to do. We're trying to resist him that he will leave us alone, albeit for a moment, he will leave us alone. When I think about this, I think about uh, movies or situations that you see where a person is being bullied and all of a sudden the bully gets scared. The bully gets worried and the bully goes away and the little nerd like Pipsqueak is kind of like, yeah, that's right. I told you I was the man, whatever, whatever. And he turns around and the bigger, more dominating, protective figure is standing behind him. And the bully left because the protection was behind him. And I'm convinced that this is the way we ought to see Jesus. We ought to see Jesus as our protector. We ought to see Jesus as our, as our bully beater. And we rely on him until the enemy flees. We have so many people that are so concerned about tomorrow or yesterday that they just can't win the day. One of the most probably prominent and prevalent um, slogans for a football team or a sports team is win the day. I think it was Ole Miss slogan for a little while under Hugh Freeze. I could be wrong. But win the day. Win the day. Win the day. The Christian responsibility in spiritual warfare is to win the day. If the devil is attacking you today, don't worry about what the attacks might be tomorrow. Win the day. If the devil is attacking you today, don't worry about how you failed yesterday. Win the day. Win the day. Submit to God. Resist today. If you spend all of your life worrying about yesterday, you never grow. If you spend all of your wife, life worrying about tomorrow, you never grow. Win today. Today has its own troubles. When we are focused on the day, when we are focused on now, what we are also doing simultaneously, although we may not realize it, is we are focusing on the power of Jesus Christ Right now in our lives, he is the manna. He is the bread of heaven. He is the sufficient uh, work and word that we need today. For today. When today. Our goal is not to defeat the enemy for forever. Our goal is to resist today. He'll leave us alone. The Bible says, submit to God, submit therefore to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. I don't worry, friends, that I have enough power to defeat Satan because I don't. I don't worry about that. 
I worry if I have enough power, enough trust in God to make it through today. I don't worry about what I might do tomorrow because if I start worrying about what I might do tomorrow, I'll remember what I did yesterday and I'll worry that I can't make it tomorrow. You want to know what one of the truest signs of faith in a believer is? It's to look at the Bible. It's to look at God's faithfulness and say, His mercies are new today. They're good for me today. And I can make it by His power, by His plan, by His will, by submitting to Him today. That's what faith is. Faith is if I'm having marriage problems, the answer must be in the Bible. I need to find it. I need to learn the answer. I need to trust that it will work. Faith is if I'm having problems with my children, the answer must be in the Bible. I need to find it. I need to learn the answer. I need to trust that it will work. If I'm having problems at work, the answer must be in the Bible. If I need, I need to find it. I need to learn the answer. I need to trust that it will work. If I'm having problems with personal sin, the answer is in the Bible. I need to find it. I need to learn the answer. I need to trust that it will work. Faith is not believing that God exists. Even the demons believe and they tremble. Faith is believing that the God that exists is powerful enough for all of your situations, all of your problems, all of the attacks of the enemy. Faith is not believing that God exists. You believe God exists, good job. Even the demons believe they tremble. Faith is believing that God is what your solutions, God is the solution to all of your problems. God is the solution that you need. That Christ is the answer, that the Holy Spirit is the power. This only comes by understanding that our problems in our life are spiritual problems and they require a spiritual answer. The attacks in our life are spiritual attacks and they require a spiritual answer. Standing your ground and resisting the devil is solely based on your ability to trust God and his word as a sufficient means of overcoming. So we submit ourselves to the church, we submit ourselves to leadership, we humble ourselves to know we need to grow. We, as we are growing, we watch and we pray with a sober minded. Then we are ready to resist and we're ready to face this life with confidence. What is the result of being spiritually sound and spiritually mature person? Verse 10 through 11 says, And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore Confirm, strengthen, and establish. He promises four things. Now, all of these four things are different ways of strength, he prom or, or, or of gaining strength. He promises to restore you. This is to make you right, to put you back in order, to give you the strength of being in the position you're supposed to be in. He's going to make you complete. He promises to confirm you. This is once he's restored you, to make you strong, to strengthen you. I, I believe this is the moment after a traumatic experience where you look at yourself and you see that you're still standing. You see that you're still alive, and you're like, okay, all right, I made it through that. Okay, let's, let's start to gather myself. Let's start to trust in the Lord again. Let's start to recoup and, re, and re, uh, resupply for the next attack. To confirm you, to restore you, to strengthen you. This is to establish you, to put you in a fixed position. And then he even says to establish you. This is to lay the foundation. 
I believe these last two are probably the most important. The first two, restore and confirm, are sort of like you've been stung by spiritual warfare. You're trying to like get back on your solid feet. But the last two are indicative of how you're going to make it through the next battle, to strengthen and establish. If, my, if I find that I'm in a fixed position, and if I find that my fixed position is on the foundation of Christ alone, then every battle, every battle's results are the same. Every battle will be tough. Every battle will sting. But every battle I will win because of Christ and his work. If you remember that your value is fixed in Christ, that you are never more loved when you're doing good as you are when you're doing bad. You're loved equally, I guess I should say. If you realize that the, re- the way to salvation is through the work of Jesus Christ. And if you realize that both things are true, no matter your circumstances, you are ready for the next battle. You are strengthened. You are established. You may not agree with me on what I've said on some of these things today. You may think, well, my problems are this. My problems aren't spiritual. And I would say to the Lord and to you, help your unbelief. Help your unbelief. Anxiety? I have it. As a matter of fact, as a testimony to you, I haven't slept well for the past, I don't know how many months. And I don't know why. I don't, I don't go to bed thinking bad thoughts most of the time. I don't worry about life in general most of the time or the things that are happening in my life. I worry about, you know, you guys because those are like more out of my control, they feel. But anxiety, my anxiety, the things that are keeping me up at night, it's a sin. It's a sin. I am not anxiety. I am not anxious. It's a sin. It is a spiritual act. Do you know how I know it's a sin? The Bible says be anxious for nothing. And if the Lord commands me to not be anxious and I go against what he commands, then what am I doing? Or if the Lord commands me to do anything, and I go against what he commands, what am I doing? Depression, while I know that there are external factors in depression, depression is a spiritual thing. And some areas of how we handle our own depression is sin. It's just that simple. And until you look at it as that, you will never overcome your depression. Behavioral issues, while there are external factors, it's sin. And until you look at it that way, you will never overcome your behavioral issues. Marital issues, no matter how hard you may seem to be trying individually, the marital issues that you have, they're sin. They're often sin. And no matter, if you don't look at it that way, you will never overcome your marital issues. You may disagree with me, and Nietzsche may also, and all the psychologists today may disagree with me. But I don't believe the Bible does. And I think anyone who has worked through anxiety in a spiritual way would tell you the same thing. Anyone who's worked through marital problems, anyone who's worked through child rearing, anyone who's worked through personal problems with sin would admit as much. 
We are in spiritual warfare every day. And it is a battle for our lives. And I want to tell you, attributing spiritual things to anything, attributing spiritual uh, hurt or hatred or attacks that are not godly, attributing them to anything but the enemy is a problem. Pretending it doesn't exist in that way is a problem. Pretending it only exists in that way is a problem also. Take some responsibility for yourself, right? Have some self-control, those type things. The enemy, the devil, you're, you know, Flip Wilson, if you're old enough to remember, I'm not really, but I just remember from seeing it on TV, Flip Wilson, the devil made me do it, okay? The devil didn't make you do everything, okay? Take some responsibility for yourself. But assuming that things aren't spiritual because that's what the latest books tell you, or that's what someone else who is a medical professional told you, or that's what your wife or husband tell you, that's a mistake. And that is a mistake that will cost you recovery. Drug addiction, it's spiritual. Hatred, it's spiritual. Racism, it's spiritual. We're already over time, so I'm not going to sit there and go through every sin that's possible and tell you that it's spiritual. I hope that you get the point. I'm not going uh, to go through the conclusion today. You can read it. Uh, it's profitable. It's not equally as profitable as what we just went through. I feel like we spent our time well. Um, just a couple points. Sylvanus is Silas. They're both they're commonly used names. They were, both names were used for... Silas and Silvanus were used for Silas, okay? So Silvanus is Silas. Silas probably was the secretary for, for Peter. He probably either wrote down what Peter was saying or he helped him edit or something like that. Um, so uh, that's cool. It looks like verses 12 through 14, this is actually Peter. Whether or not Silvanus or Silas wrote it, it looks like 12 through 14 is actually Peter. And um, Babylon is Rome. Okay, Babylon is a name for Rome. Uh, if you want to talk more about that in MC, you can. Um, and there's some conjecture on who the um, chi in, who is ba in Babylon is. So uh, we spent our time well today. And if, you wanna, if you're a, a big-time nerd and you're interested in what's in 12 through 14, I can talk to you separately or whatever. But I think the most important thing that we're going to need and face on a regular basis is how do we handle spiritual warfare and I think that's through maturity I think that's absolutely by being connected to the church I think it's absolutely by humbling yourself and not thinking you're better than spiritual warfare you're better than being attacked you're better than falling I think it's absolutely by being aware of your surroundings uh, being sober-minded and resisting the attacks of the enemy um, let's pray father God you're good uh, we love you uh, your word is true. Help us to depend on that. Lord, help us live by faith. And by living by faith, we just trust that what you say is true and that it's worthy of following and that it's the answer to what we need in life. Uh, help us to have that kind of faith. And I believe if we have that faith, uh, we are uh, impenetrable in many ways. Uh, we love you so much. We praise you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.